This is The Guardian. Today, the government says it's time we learnt to live with COVID. What does that actually mean? Peter Walker, you're a political correspondent for The Guardian and you can tell from the sound of the hubbub in the background where you are in your office in Westminster that, yes. you know, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> this is this is one of the biggest announcements that Boris Johnson's been wanting to make for a long time. Today's the day he's been trying to get us all excited about, the day that all restrictions are ending in England. What do you think his ultimate political aim is in ending the restrictions now? <laughs> to stay in Downing Street longer than Theresa May. No, I'm kind of uh, joking. To uh, you know, any prime minister uh, at the back of their mind does always have this sense of self-preservation. For for Johnson, there's several things going on. One of which is this very kind of you know base but completely realistic political goal of keeping his backbenchers onside as much as he can. So those who would wait for a total end to this war before lifting the remaining regulations would be restricting the liberties of the British people for a long time to come. Another one is that Johnson is, by political instinct, something of a libertarian. I mean, I think the government he's run during COVID is not the one he would have, you know, as a child, imagining him being PM, would have pictured himself doing of imposing restrictions and having to raise taxes to pay for it. And he said that quite openly. It isn't what he wanted to to do. I know how difficult this is and how it seems to go against the freedom-loving instincts of the of the British people. This is a decision that lots of similar countries to the UK with high vaccination rates are starting to face up to, you know, what do you do now? How do you live with COVID? If there is a way which won't make public health experts have a fit of the vapours to do it, you can understand why politicians want to. Well, not everyone's convinced that the government has the best motivations. People need to know their liberties are returning and returning for good. But this is a half-baked announcement from a government paralysed by chaos and incompetence. It is not a plan to live well with COVID. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, all COVID restrictions are now lifted in England. Are we ready? And before I begin, I know the whole house will join me in sending our best wishes to Her Majesty the Queen for a full and swift recovery. It is a reminder that this virus has not gone away. On Monday, Boris Johnson officially announced the end of restrictions in front of Parliament. We can now deal with it in a very different way, moving from government restrictions to personal responsibility. What were the main points he made? What changes did he lay out? One of the main bits of it, which we knew was going to come, was essentially the end of all domestic COVID restrictions in uh, England. I stress England because all the UK governments can decide what policy they're going to uh, do. 
The big thing about this is that the infrastructure of self-isolation and contact testing and stuff like that is all going to go. From this Thursday, 24th of February, we will end the legal requirement to self-isolate following a positive test. And so we will also end self-isolation support payments, although COVID provisions for statutory sick pay can still be claimed for a further month. But also the financial infrastructure with that is also going. So there was this... £500 one-off payment for people on lower incomes if they had to self-isolate uh, to kind of cushion the blow. That immediately ends and from 24th of March, statutory sick pay and employment support allowance will be slightly less generous than they were. They did start to kick in after day one. Now they're going to be back to kicking after only four and seven days of people being uh, off. And another slightly controversial bit is that from April the 1st in England, people will have to start to pay for lateral flow and for uh, PCR tests. We will end free symptomatic and asymptomatic testing for the general public. We will continue to provide free symptomatic tests to the oldest age groups and those most vulnerable to COVID. There will be a little bit of residual testing left over, for example, NHS patients, care homes. Uh, the exact details are still to be sorted out, and but probably for people over 80. But the bulk of us, the bulk of listeners, are going to have to, you know, if they think they've got COVID, are going to have to make sure that they basically buy a PCR test. Good evening, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. When the pandemic began, we had little knowledge of this virus. During the press conference, Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer for England, was on the stand next to Johnson. And throughout the pandemic, he's performed this kind of elegant balancing act (laughs) of, you know, questioning the government's decisions while also not seeming to directly undermine or be in hostile disagreement with them. How did he seem during that press conference to you? I mean... One of the key things was the fact that Chris Whitty and Sir Patrick Vallance, the uh, government's chief scientific ad- advisor, were both on the stand with Boris Johnson. There had to be some speculation about whether they'd you know, ever hold another joint press conference with lots of people thinking that they didn't necessarily agree with what the government was, was doing. But both of them, particularly Whitty, they basically said, yes, they do agree with this course of action, but they caveated it. And it's partly just what scientists do. They do urge caution. And this has been this narrative throughout COVID to a certain extent that Boris Johnson has this slightly kind of boosterish tendency to tell people what he thinks they want to be told. You know, things are getting better. You don't have to worry. And then witching violence have been not necessarily the voice of doom, the voice of caution. <laughs> yes, the voice because of Because they're epidemiologists and they do know that viruses can come back. They do know variants can be worse. Is that we all expect, and Patrick will talk more about this, there to be new variants and some of those new variants will just disappear, but some of them will cause us significant problems. And they could and again, that was their kind of role, saying, you know, look, COVID is still here. Just be careful. Um, just, just don't do completely stupid things. If you're in a crowded space, if you're on a crowded train, then wear a mask. It's, you know, the better thing to do. I would urge people in terms of public health advice, and this is very much the government's position, I'm, that people should still, if they have COVID, Uh, try to prevent other people getting it, and that means self-isolating. Right, so let's try and look then at why the government's made this decision now, where we're at with the COVID pandemic across the country. What are infection rates like at the moment? 
COVID infection rates are still pretty high. I mean, last week there were still 60,000 plus. They're heading more towards the 30,000-ish now. But that's the number of people testing positive around the UK on a daily basis. And, we, you know, we've got to stress that the actual number of people with the virus is probably going to be quite a lot more than that. The Omicron wave is still high. And if you look around the UK, we're still in places, we're still between uh, 1 in 20 and 1 in 25 people have got uh, Omicron if they were tested according to NS data, which is slightly backward looking. Now, the rates are coming down, but this is still a very common infection. A, people are just testing less than they would anyway, because there's a sense that COVID is coming to an end. But also the Omicron variant too, a lot of people, particularly younger people, their symptoms are minimal or they don't have any. So quite a few people will have Omicron and will just not get around to testing because they don't think they've got anything. So this is not a virus which has completely disappeared. And the government is looking at those figures, but saying we're at the point now where we can start to treat this like a flu. We will encourage people with COVID, with COVID symptoms, to exercise personal responsibility just as we, as we encourage people who may have flu to be considerate towards others. Where does that leave us then in terms of testing provision nationally? I mean, I know you mentioned the provision of lateral flows, but how about, you know, testing sites? It's not really been quite clear. They haven't quite set out what they're going to do. They're going to keep the testing infrastructure for, for PCRs. And it sounds like, you know, all these test centres which have sprung up around the country, I imagine will stumble stay in place because people still need PCRs. But they're probably, it sounds like they're going to mothball the site. So, for example, if, I don't know, in spring or in autumn or winter, there was another variant that was much, much worse and they needed to return to free mass testing, then they wouldn't have to rebuild all these sites again. Officials have stressed that, that they're not going to completely get rid of all the infrastructure. And they're going to keep various things going this ONS survey, which basically measures the amount of COVID by not just testing people who think they've got COVID, but by testing a representative sample of various tens of thousands of people every week, like a kind of political poll, which is seen as the most accurate gauge of how many people have got COVID. Mm. Well, let's look at it then on an individual level. If you're someone in England and you've got COVID symptoms now that the restrictions have come to an end... What do you do? You're advised to take a test and then you're advised if you do have COVID or you believe to have COVID to not go into work for, I mean, a period of about seven-ish days. The advice is that from day five and six, if you take two lateral flow tests and they're both negative and you haven't got a temperature, then you should be fine to resume your everyday life. But obviously that depends quite a lot on the circumstances that people face. I mean, I can work from home. I can just spark up a laptop. But a lot of people obviously have jobs where they need to physically be there. And a lot of people also have jobs where they don't really get any proper sick pay. They get statutory sick pay, which only kicks in after a few days and is a very, very small uh, sum. And if you're going to be off for a week, then you might not be able to pay your rent. So there will be quite a lot of people now is, you know, Basically, quite a lot of people, even when it was a legal requirement to self-isolate, were still going into work. And the sense is it'll probably be much more common. Yeah, and it depends on the kind of work culture that your boss is setting down as well, doesn't it? Even if you on an individual basis think, really, I don't feel well enough to be in work. If your boss is encouraging you to come in. Well, there's not much you can do. And, and again, this is something ministers have been slightly hazy on. The 
advice from the government is to treat it like if you have like flu in the pre-COVID era, if you had flu, then it wasn't seen as a sensible thing to come into work. But you know, anyone who's got a rush out of train or a bus or been in an office over the years will know there'll always be several idiots who are there kind of hacking and coughing and sneezing and think it's this macho thing. You'd always get your office types who said, I've not taken a day off sick in like 10 years. And you'd like to think COVID has slightly changed that culture, but you know, you will certain get a certain number of people, but you also get people who simply can't afford to take the time off. And that's the worry, really. I don't know. I think before the first lockdown, obviously, there were all these worries amongst government behavioural experts that people simply wouldn't do what they were told. But most people did. Most people did more than the experts thought. So we might have the same thing now. It's possible the culture and companies will be different. Peter, what have public health experts had to say? Do they think it's the right time to be ending restrictions now? Uh, the consensus amongst public health experts seems to be that there's certainly an argument that ending restrictions now is, you know, certainly not a crazy thing. There's an argument for doing it. The concerns they have are more to do with the kind of testing infrastructure and in particular whether the charges for tests and the slightly less ability to take time off work could impact poorer people or people on lower incomes more. One of the things that COVID has really shone a spotlight on is that there were already these very, very glaring health disparities in the UK based on ethnicity and income and things like that. And COVID has shown them up, you know, so there could be a greater spread of COVID in poorer areas, which which could be quite difficult. Mm. And we know that more than 2 million people in England were identified as being clinically vulnerable to COVID and have been advised to shield during the pandemic. For a lot of those people, it's going to be a nerve-wracking time, isn't it? It is, it is. And the government is trying to respond to it by trying to increase the vaccination basis. So people with suppressed immune systems for whom the vaccines tend to work less well this week it emerged they're going to be offered a second booster jab. So for some people, this is actually going to be the fifth vaccination they're going to get. So the hope is that will make the protections for them greater. Older people are also going to be offered a second booster jab. So that will be a fourth jab. You know, so there is some stuff for that. The treatments for COVID are getting better. There's still trials going on for uh, antiviral drugs and things like that. But Charities like Blood Cancer UK are trying to make the point that whilst there are no easy choices, this is a very, very difficult moment for some people. You know, this change offers even less certainty for them and they might end up having to wander around and go onto public transport with the knowledge that it's likely that significantly more people could have COVID and won't be self-isolating and probably won't be wearing um, masks. So that's what's happening in England. But the leaders of the devolved nations are taking their own stances. In Northern Ireland, the restrictions were removed last week. In Scotland, they'll stay in place until the 21st of March. And in Wales, people will be under restrictions until at least that date, maybe longer. Mark Drakeford, the Welsh First Minister, has said it's reckless to make any changes to the national testing programme. And Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland has said they don't plan to charge anyone for getting COVID tests there. People will still have to self-isolate if they test positive. Isolating, staying at home when positive with a highly infectious virus 
and the follow-up tracing that Test and Protect does remains one of the most fundamental public health protections that we have available to us. It helps limit... So basically, what the leaders of the devolved nations are saying, the approaches they're taking, fit with the more cautious approach that they've been taking throughout this pandemic? It is. It's quite a tricky one for them because the free tests are an incredibly expensive thing. And the Westminster government, the UK government, made it plain yesterday that the devolved governments won't get any extra cash if they want to keep free testing. They will get whatever their uh, allowance under the devolved nation's financial formula is, but they won't get any more. So that's one of the issues that certainly whilst the Welsh and Scottish leaders want to keep free testing is whether or not they can actually afford to pay for it. Mm. It's tricky, isn't it? Because I think, as you've pointed towards, this is such an economic burden on the country at the moment, isn't it? Like having all of this testing infrastructure and the decision to end the restrictions is a largely economic one as well. Well, it is. I mean, and there are obviously very, very good reasons for getting rid of free testing because it costs, you know, 12 or 13 billion pounds a year, which is an awful lot. But in a slightly weird way, it's become, a, in recent months, slightly more kind of culture war-ish that the COVID recovery group of Conservative backbenchers, who've been the ones very, very much pushing for all the restrictions to go, have got almost a tiny bit in tone Brexity. You know, there's a big crossover between the groups in a sense of they see it as almost this kind of point of principle that the government should not impose restrictions on how people live. And that element have got to, of it has got stronger and stronger and it's certainly been another impetus for Johnson to want to get rid of these because he's still in a very politically perilous place and he wants as many of his backbenchers on side as he possibly can. Right, so you've got a strong core of backbenchers who are in support of restrictions ending today, but has there been disagreement, you know, either either among the backbenchers or within the cabinet on this? Are any Tories saying this is too soon? Basically, no. I mean, in the cabinet, um, the only dispute was between Treasury and the health department over financing for testing. I mean, in, in the cabinet, it's tricky because a lot of cabinet ministers are looking to potentially a few months in the future, even when Boris Johnson is kicked out. And they want to be able to present themselves to Tory MPs and to Tory membership as, you know, a viable future PM. Peter, did you just make a prediction there that Boris Johnson's going to be kicked out in a few months? No, I said if he is. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Which is possible. You know, it's 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 perfectly possible that, that you know, after the May local uh, elections, if the Conservatives do really badly, then there could be a move against him. But certainly all cabinet ministers who have an eye on the top job are thinking about how they want to present themselves to Tory backbenches and to the membership, which would eventually pick. And no one wants to be seen as a COVID hawk because that's not the way the Tory party is at the moment. You know, the Tory party is much, much more bullish on ending restrictions than polling shows the country at large. Coming up, how prepared will we be as a country if a new, more dangerous strain of COVID comes along? Peter, the restrictions have changed today, but we all know this virus is not entirely predictable. We've all lived through several lockdowns and, you know, 
new strains of COVID are going to develop. If a serious variant emerges and infects a lot of people, what will happen? Has the government left open the possibility of reintroducing restrictions? They certainly left open the possibility of massively ramping up testing and tracing and potentially uh, self-isolation, hence why the bulk of the PCR labs are being kept. In terms of restrictions, they've never said that they won't do them again. You know, and if you ask Johnson or, you know, other ministers, can you ever rule out another lockdown? Then they will say, well, no, we can't, because if there was potentially, you know, the nightmare COVID variant, which is highly transmissible and highly dangerous, even for fully vaccinated people, then you would have to do that. The interesting thing is that some of his MPs think differently. Uh, Mr. Speaker, um, I'll take the Prime Minister's statement, if I may, as his application to join the COVID recovery group. He's very welcome indeed. I only wish it had been uh, sooner. And in the Commons, it was interesting, some of the COVID recovery group MPs were calling for the Public Health Act, under which quite a lot of the restrictions were brought in, to be basically changed so a government can't do it, so a government would have to have a vote in Parliament before it put any of the restrictions back in place. If we're to believe that next time will be different, why doesn't this plan include proposals to change the Public Health Act to make uh, ministers more accountable to Parliament now, rather than kicking it into the long grass. So it certainly would be a big battle. But if you suddenly had a variant that was clearly killing or making seriously ill a lot of people, I think the public demand would be such that restrictions would be put in place reasonably quickly. How likely is it that people would put up with being restricted again? I mean, is there any evidence from behavioural scientists? It's hard to say because the behavioural science predictions the first time round turned out to be totally wrong. There was this worry that you had to have extremely severe restrictions because people wouldn't voluntarily go along with them. But particularly in the first wave, the first couple of ways, people did. I mean, as a behavioural scientist will say that every time you have to release and reimpose restrictions and the longer these things go on, it gets more tricky. I mean, the polling tends to show that people are still more cautious than MPs are. There is a lot of support for keeping self-isolation and keeping test and trace still in, in, in place. But what has tended to happen amongst the pandemic is the government releases restrictions and people say, well, actually, hang on, this isn't you know, all that bad. And then the polling tends to fall into line with it. And what have uh, the Labour Party, what has Keir Starmer said about the decision to end restrictions? <laughs> Covid restrictions in Labour is a very, very tricky one because The danger is that no opposition party wants to be this kind of killjoy and doommonger, which endlessly says, you know, we need, you know, we need people to be less free. Mr. Speaker, let me be clear. The Labour Party does not want to see restrictions in place for a moment longer than necessary. And and Keir Starmer's response to Johnson in the Commons was basically saying we support getting rid of restrictions as soon as we possibly can. But we've got a few worries. In particular, they were highlighting the end of testing and the impact on poor people having to pay for testing. And their, war, their, their kind of line was, we think this is a bit rushed. What I can't understand is why the Prime Minister is taking away the tools that will help them to do that. Free tests can't continue forever. But if you're too one up with... if you're. If you're 2-1 up with 10 minutes to go, you don't sub off one of your best defenders. So they basically say that, yes, the restrictions as they are should largely go. 
but we should make it easier for people to live with COVID and not have to make these very, very difficult choices. For example, do I, you know, do the kind of community-minded thing and take seven days off work, but then also potentially lose a lot of pay? Are there other countries in Europe that are taking a similar approach or is England an outlier? All similar countries to the UK where there's quite a lot of vaccination are moving in the same direction. I mean, some of the restrictions were much tougher. Italy, until fairly recently, had a rule you had to wear a mask when outdoors, even walking by yourself, which was an incredibly unpopular thing, which is now gone. And so the sense of travel is the same. But in terms of direct comparators, Boris Johnson likes to say the UK is moving faster than anyone else. I mean, Denmark was the first country early this month to get rid of all its remaining COVID restrictions. I mean, since then, its COVID infection rate has gone up quite a lot, which is slightly worrying. Other similar countries like Sweden and Norway are moving in that direction too. But it's definitely fair to say the UK is probably the first of the major nations, of the large population nations to have done this. So as with several other parts in the pandemic, we're going to be, you know, something of a Petri dish, something of a kind of test case. Peter, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. That was Peter Walker. Read his work, as ever, at theguardian.com. And if you want to hear more from our political team, we've got not one, but two new podcasts for you. Firstly, Politics Weekly UK. That's hosted by the award-winning journalist John Harris, and there'll be new episodes every Thursday. Then there's the US version, Politics Weekly America, hosted by Jonathan Friedland, who's a Guardian columnist and former Washington correspondent. He'll have new episodes for you every Friday, and you can find both of those podcasts wherever you found this one. Today's episode was produced by Elizabeth Cassin, with production assistance from Veronica Strashinska. Rudy Zagadlo was on sound design, and Phil Maynard and Maithali Rao are our executive producers. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.